Welcome to the Go-To-Market Mindset with Michael Gordon, where we talk about all things related to sales, business development, and personal growth. If it's about high performance, we want to take a deep dive into that. And to do that, we'll be talking with some of the sharpest minds in all the land. But don't get too comfortable because we're going to be getting you out of your comfort zone. The Go-To-Market Mindset is brought to you by Sandler Training in Calabasas and me, Michael Gordon. We work with growth mining companies that know sales is never about price and believe that salespeople have rights. For more information, visit gordon.sandler.com. Welcome to the Go-To Market Mindset. I'm here today with legend John Rosso, Sandler trainer in Charleston, South Carolina. And I don't use that term lightly. John, you were a legend in the Sandler network, a legend in the selling world, two-time author of Prospecting the Sandler Way and 21st Century Prospecting. Great to have you on the show, John. Well, Michael, always a pleasure. Appreciate always speaking with you and thanks for the invitation. Yeah, we'll we'll get started without any further ado. Sure. So I thought I thought long and hard about what could we talk about, and well, I'm sure since we're both Sandler guys, we don't have a lot of very differing philosophies on selling. So I thought, what are some tactical things we could talk about? What's changing? What's new? Enterprise? But I thought there's a lot of that out there already. So here's what I came up with. I wanted to talk about accountability. And specifically accountability to ourselves, accountability from a leadership perspective, and, and kind of on that same line, consistency, because you are the king of consistency. And that's not just a name. I get your with along with some other people, get your daily journal every single morning at the same time. I'm on the West Coast. So every morning when I wake up, it's sitting there in my inbox, which is amazing. So I'd love to get some perspective on you about that. Sure. Where do you want? Where do you want to start? Start anywhere in particular, or yeah, let's well, let's start with accountability to self, and not just in general. And sorry, I'll give you a, a typical salesperson doing nothing but talking. We we know that accountability, self accountability, is is huge in sales, and I I don't think anybody who knows you could deny the fact that your tremendous success in Sandler could almost be attributed entirely to account self-accountability. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's exactly true. I would put it the other way. I think self-accountability matters. I'll speak on it. I think possibly much of my success in Sandler is making sure I've put myself in the position to be held accountable by others as well. So so I like I like the word accountability. To me, accountability simply is if you can define it, you can do it. Right. The challenge I see is we don't define it. We meaning the collective world. You know, we don't define it. If I don't define it, I never have to be accountable to it. Right. So if it's not quantifiable. Uh, and then the second part is if I have defined it, I don't necessarily do it. Now that's a commitment issue. And Michael, I think you've all you've heard the one liners, which I don't know if it was a Sandler line or somebody invented along the way, but I love it, is that people judge themselves by their intentions and they judge everyone else by their behavior. Right. Sure. And and so if I meant to get to this podcast, but, you know, I had an unavoidable crisis come up, who cares what my intentions are? I know showed you on the podcast. That's the only thing, you know. So we judge ourselves by our intentions, everybody else by their behavior. We should judge ourselves by our behavior. And I think that's the beginning. Defining it is the beginning of self-accountability. Interesting. 
Interesting. So let me tie that back to what I said a minute ago is, and we're all, well, I don't say we're all, but we, we have a very large affection within the Sandler network for journaling. Is that why you share your daily journal with other people? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a huge reason why I think journaling as a theory, for lack of a better word, as the same with prayer or meditation or mindfulness, uh, they're all great in theory. Uh, and and I, ha- I don't have a mindfulness or a meditation accountability partner. So you know what? It doesn't get done nearly as well as having accountability partners on the journal side. So, uh, and, and I'm not suggesting everyone has this kind of wiring, but I feel a certain responsibility. If I've made a commitment to you, there's a theory from the Cialdini stuff called commitment and consistency. If you make a commitment verbally, actively, publicly to others, uh, there's a strong draw within us to want to act consistent with that. So by developing the journal and not developing the journal, by doing the journal and and, and throwing it out there that I'm willing to share it with others forces me to try to keep my word. Now, early on, you've got to overcome the discomfort of being a little bit too vulnerable and people seeing into your journal. But once you can get over that, I think I use it as a trap more than anything. And I would, I'm making this up. I know you, you're pretty good at reading it because you'll ask a question. I'm guessing if there were 50 people on a list, it's white noise to 48 and a half of them, right? I mean, so I'm not necessarily doing it for them. I hope it's helpful, but it really helps me to be accountable to myself on that side. Got it. Got it. Let's, while we're here on journal, let's dive down the journal hole. I remember listening to a really old talk of yours where you said that there's nothing that you've journaled that hasn't come true. And, spe- you know, that was probably four years ago. And I listened to that as a brand new person, Sandler at the time that really had a, a big impact on me. What is, what are some of the things that you've journaled and how does, how has that helped you in your, your career? Well, I think that's largely true. It's probably more for a reflection on that. I'm probably not dreaming that big, right? I mean, if everything as everything's coming through over time, I probably ought to have bigger dreams. In all in all seriousness, uh, so so for me, it's been an incremental growth pattern, and and by being consistent in our Sandler word is doing the behavior. By being consistent in doing the activity, I'm always shocked how good the results end up being, right? It's not that I'm this motivated person with a great dream to be X. It's I'm showing up every single day and doing the work, getting to X minus two and going, well, now maybe I can get to X minus one. X. So, so it's not like I sat there and said, hey, I want to create SpaceX or I want to revolutionize the energy world and the way cars are made and, and, and enter in a new you know, electric vehicle world, the way t- uh, the way Musk is streaming big. I wish I were maybe, uh, you know, I've been more modest in my dreams. Although for me, it's been a, a, a tremendous, a tremendous growth path where every day or most days I get a chance to see a little bit of growth. And so things that I want to become, to me, the journaling, the affirmation piece, these are aspirational uh, affirmations. Meaning if I say, you know, whatever, I am a 20 times return on investment for anyone who gives me money. I don't know that that's entirely true. It's an aspiration. But if you say it enough time, you act as if, and it sort of feels as if it's true. And then it kind of becomes true. So anything that I've consistently journaled with over the years seems to be continuing continuing to surprise me 
as to how you can continue to grow and get better, not only from a personal growth standpoint, but from a results standpoint. Okay, so you're saying that there is some truth to the tagline that journaling is lying to yourself consistently over time? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I yes, I think there's a tag. You know, I mean, the 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 negatively phrased way is fake it till you make it. The positively phrased way is act as if, right? We talk about having mental mentors or models. Well, I mean, we want mentors or models for a reason so that we can aspire to develop the traits and habits, uh, the values, the thinking of some of the people or some of the things we aspire to. And I think journal is a way to lie to yourself convincingly. I mean, it's certainly an old Napoleon Hill line that says, you know, whatever man can conceive and believe he can achieve man being again just the word man woman doesn't matter <laughs> but but i think there's a lot of research in that the mind doesn't really know i'm just reading a new book not it's not new but a book by joe dispenser if you've ever heard of joe dispenser called evolve your brain and in it he again he he continues to give data that your mind really doesn't know the difference between reality and something that would be vividly imagined so i think that's where those aspirations sort of fit in it's over time just like, just like the Colorado River and the Grand Canyon over thousands of years, creating this crevice, you know, over maybe not thousands of years, but tens to twenties to hundreds to thousands of days, you know, I'm creating a neural pathway, hopefully, to begin to think the way I want to think. Got it. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I can say my first three and a half years in Sandler spent a lot of time on the technique part. And I think in the last year and a half, I've been working, I wouldn't say exclusively, but very intensely on the mindset part. And it's amazing what the brain is capable of doing. It is amazing. And I think, uh, again, this was some research that was done some years ago by, uh, shoot, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, the name of the book is uh, Paul Stoltz, doc, Dr. Paul Stoltz, The Adversity Quotient. Um, you know, he 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 has an acronym called CORE, which stood for Control, Ownership, Reach, and Endurance. And, and I think I think people are wired differently. But one of the things that I think I had before Sandler was this E, this endurance, which means when I'm hit with adversity, and we we are hit with adversity virtually every single day in the Sandler world, right? Certainly when we start and we're prospecting as aggressively, meaning not not aggressively technique-wise, but <laughs> as much as we need to need to prospect, there's a lot of adversity. And endurance means when you have a negative event in your life, how long will you let that event sit with you before you can go ahead and continue to take action? It's sort of like the opposite of glory days. Well, I, you know, I could have been something if I didn't just blow up my arm in high school. I could have made the majors and here I am you know, 30 years later in a bar drinking a beer but boning it. That's, that's having poor endurance. Uh, short endurance means you can get up on that horse to ride fairly quickly. It goes into the sports world again of having a short memory, right? You just threw a pitch, they hit a grand slam, you just threw an interception, you better have a short memory. And I think in sales, and I'm fortunate, I don't know that I don't know that I can teach it necessarily. I think you can affirm to it, you can slowly work to it. But to be able to deal with adversity in a fairly consistent way, and not let that dissuade or deter me from doing the right activities on a consistent basis. Well, I'll agree with that. And by the way, you mentioned we, we face adversity in Sandler early on. Does, are you telling me that at some point it, it, it stops a little bit? 
No, I don't think it stops. I do think it spaces out. I think in in your first year or first day, it's like 27 adverse events a day, you know, and then it uh, it slows down after 29 years to one a day. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, I don't think it stops, nor do I think it should stop. You know, it's it's if you're going to continue to push your comfort zone and your envelope of learning and continue to stay on top of your craft. And our craft happens to be sales and sales management and leadership training. But if you're going to stay on top of your craft, you've got to continue to risk going out of that limb and failing. And as you know, in the Sandler world, which I've not yet mastered, but I certainly understand if we can separate out our identity from our role, right, and treat role failure as it is failing in a specific task or role, as opposed to being a failure, uh, again, that helps you to get back on that horse a little bit more quickly and uh, and get back to work. Awesome. So, John, how much time, and this is maybe a personal curiosity question, I don't know how much it would be interesting to the other people out there listening, but I, I know you, you trained and you continue to train a lot of salespeople. How much time do you spend with them really working on mindset, the attitude part of the success triangle? Probably not enough. You know, I think, I think we, 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 I start virtually every session with the success triangle attitude behavior technique because we talk about how it fits within if you're in the pain compartment, if you're in the upfront contract, if you're in the budget, it always fits because head trash, right? And you've heard our version or, or the Mark Twain definition of it's not what you don't know that hurts you, it's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So so there's always an attitudinal piece of, of it. Um, but I would say in the end, you know, if you really shuffle that deck and everybody does say attitude is the most important, but in the end, you know, what you can't be is more committed. You know, I can't be more committed than you to make the changes you think you need to make, right? So it becomes a very, very personal thing to be able to take on your challenges, to be able to have the discipline to journal. So we're giving you the tools necessarily, but you've got to be able to bring up those tools. So I do include attitude in every session, and right or wrong, it, but it's not therapy. You know, we're not having a therapy session. I'm introducing the tools, introducing ways of thinking, and then we're moving into something that would be more tactical. So in the end, probably it could be more, but you've got to make some certain sacrifices in the end because it's the strongest people, as you would know, uh, Michael, that adapt, adapt and adopt more quickly than the weaker people. And the weaker people, the head trash is getting in the way. 100% of the time, 100% of the time. Awesome. So moving along with accountability, I wanted to talk about that from a sales leader perspective, or maybe just a leadership in general perspective. Why, what do you think, why is this such a challenge to everyone here? And it's coincidentally, here's the biggest thing I hear is everybody wants to talk about accountability, but I also hear, hey, you know, we're, we're, we have a culture of accountability until Things get busy and hectic, and then we don't have time for accountability. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a misunderstood word. My belief, which doesn't mean it's true, it's a simple belief, is the strongest people will seek out accountability because they know that we're weak-willed, uh, easily persuadable, and if we're good salespeople, uh, we're really good at selling ourselves for the reasons not to do the things we need to do. Right? We can justify virtually anything, which is why accountability outside of yourself matters on, on that side. Uh, and I think there's a lot of misperceptions, right? Because everyone has their own confirmation bias, their own 
their own view of the world. Well, I don't want to micromanage. Well, it might be micromanaging. However, if Michael said to me, hey, I need help. I really need someone outside of myself to hold me accountable to do the things I need to do. Well, that's not micromanaging, right? That's helping you get what you need. So, so I think people A, are, are a little bit different. But I know in, in my world, my definition of a sales leader, it could be any leader, but a sales leader is, is the kind of people who can get their teammates to overachieve what they personally thought was possible. So if I was managing you and you had good dreams, uh, in the end, if I can coach you to not only have, attain those dreams, but surpass them, do more than you, what you thought was possible. I'm a really good leader, sales leader. And I can think only in my 29 years of probably two great sales leaders I've had, right, that got me to achieve more than I thought was possible. I'm like, I'm just trying to get X, Y, Z. And, and we did some really, really good things together. Now, as I said earlier, accountability means defining it. Now, if you're brand new, Michael, I don't know that I want you defining it right? Because you're brand new to my company or a company. I'm your sales leader. You don't, you've succeeded likely in your past. Otherwise we may not have hired you, but you've not succeeded here. So I'm going to be a little bit more prescriptive in, in negotiating what you need to do to succeed, right? It's going to be more directive, more prescriptive as, as you begin to prove yourself, deliver your results uh, accountability never goes away, but the levels of accountability, for instance, if you're with me 15 years and making making your numbers day in, day out, I pr I'm probably not going to be asking you every single day, give me a list of the 15 people you dialed today. But my one-liner is, is I never want to delegate lower than what we would call leading indicators, right? So a lagging indicator is a result. It's how much profit margin revenue that I've brought in in the given quarter, month, year. A leading indicator is also a goal, but it's a goal that's measuring whether or not we've been consistent and effective at doing the right activities. I'll say that again, because a good leading indicator goal is a goal, which means it's specific, measurable, accountable, realistic, time-bound, but it's a goal that's measuring, is that person, am I, is that person being consistent and effective at executing the activity? Uh, so, so even if you're with me 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, even me working with my team, I don't want to delegate any, you know, I want to go at least to the level of leading indicator. You're not allowed to say to me, I'm 120% a quota, leave me alone. I make my quota every year. Just let me do what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm a top producer, to which my answer always is, I wouldn't do that to you because it's unfair. Because here's what I know for sure, after 29 years in this business and close to 40 years in business, uh, that the minute things don't go well, you're going to want to tell me about all the things you're doing. And I, then I'm going to have to say, I thought you trained me that it doesn't matter what you're doing. The only thing that's, that matters is results, and I don't see any results. And we're going, to go to we're going to have this back and forth. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. So, But I think it's an agreement best handled during the hiring process, actually. But, but that's kind of what it looks like. Again, I, I think the other piece is, I don't, you don't need to trust me for me to be your supervisor. Hey, turn in your report by the end of Friday. Otherwise, you don't work here anymore. You do need to trust me if I'm going to coach you or train you or mentor you or really have effective accountability. Because if you believe I'm putting, the, I'm putting these plans and working with you in a collaborative fashion to put these plans in place to help you 
succeed because my heart is in the right spot and you believe I want success for you and you trust my motives, accountability works a lot better. Okay. Here's here's something I found recently, and I guess it I could tie it into what you're saying about leading indicators is whenever I'm working with a sales leader or a leader and they say the people on my team or so-and-so on my team isn't doing the things, what I found is there's usually not a clear definition of what that of what the expectation is, or it's a lagging indicator, meaning they're saying, you know, they're missing quota. But I say, well, if I were to ask so-and-so, whoever you mentioned specifically, what it is that you expect from them on a daily and weekly basis, what do you think they would say to me? And I 100% of the time get a blank stare back. Yes. And if you actually notated it and took notes and then went to the person, if they actually answered that question, and then when you went to the person and said, what do you think your leader expects from you? You'd have two different lists, almost always. Sure. Well, I'll tell you if that day ever happens, but usually it's it's just that blank stare of we, you know, I may have an idea in my head and I'm expecting them to know what I'm thinking and therefore it's not happening. And then the other part of this, and we talk about this a lot, is the 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 need for need for approval need to be liked and for some i don't know if you find this maybe it's just a west coast thing but leaders are afraid to hold people accountable because they don't want to be quote unquote the bad guy yeah i think i think it's certainly not a west coast thing it is i think it's prevalent everywhere but it's a it's a and, and i'm not suggesting i've never fallen prey to that i certainly have uh, and it's one of the things I've had to work hard to overcome and continue to work hard to uh, to overcome. I think it's a easier for me to say than do. I think it's a I think it's a uh, a misrepresentation of of accountability and what's important. In the end, again, it sort of comes from that radical candor book, right? Kim Scott, Radical Candor. Great is, book. Yeah, it's a great book, and 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 the cover has the the graph on it. I'm not going to get all the all the words right, but but I don't want to be that person who's being kind, not even kind, nice. We talk about the difference between nice and kind, right? Uh, I don't want to be that person being nice, but I'm not giving you the direct feedback. In the end, I'm stealing from you, right? I mean, I could be obnoxiously aggressive as well, and I could be passive aggressive, but but most of us managers fall into that position where we're being nice, but we're not giving them the direct feedback they need. And in the end, we're stealing from them. We're stealing productivity. We're stealing money from them. We're stealing money from their families. And it's a moral and ethical obligation. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying I execute it perfectly, but it, but I think the thinking behind it is we've got a moral uh, obligation to not only care about that person, but because we care about them. It sort of goes to the, the, the stuff from Challenger. If you've read stuff on the Challenger sale, right? They talk about the Challenger. Um, one of the ways I think about it is is the relationship salesperson just to make the this analogous to, to sales leaders says to themselves I've worked so hard to build a relationship now I don't want to do anything that would jeopardize that relationship so they don't ask tough questions they don't they don't you know they don't probe they don't do some of the things that might shake up the status quo uh, where a challenger may think I've worked so hard to develop a good relationship that's earned me the right to ask all of these questions and to confront the status quo. I think it's the same thing with managers. I work so hard. You got two ways to do it. I work so hard to develop a trusting relationship. Now I don't want to do anything that might jeopardize that. That's a mistake. I'm not helping you versus I work so hard to develop this trusting relationship that's earned me the right 
to give you the, the, the best directive feedback and constructive feedback because you will take it in the spirit which is intended because we've developed this relationship and being radically candid. Got it. So what, how, do, how does that play out if in your scenario, you've got a new hire on your team and you find after one week that you need to be radically candid, but you haven't built that relationship yet? Well, I think I think that relationship is it starts to build before you even hire them. I, I do think I do think you've got to be, you know, most most management problems are recruiting problems, right? That's a good thing to think. And and I think in, in the pre-hire world, you got to let them know. I mean, one of my one-liners is here's what I don't want to have happen, Michael. What I can't have happen is is a week, a month, six months down the line, I'm saying this is not the guy I thought I was hiring. But on the same side. I don't want you walking in and saying a week, a month, six months in going, this is not the opportunity I thought it was. Let's be clear on the way in about expectations of each other so we don't have that happen. Now, if in the end, that means this is not the right opportunity for you, so be it, right? Because in the end, we want you to be happy. We want this to work for you. And then I think you can lay out the ground rules about radical candor, about doing the right kind of behavior, about the kind of accountability that you'll lay out for them. So none of it, so none of it's a surprise. Ah, so you're almost what you're saying is setting clear expectations in the beginning as to what's going to happen in the end after the, the offer has been extended and the job has been accepted. Again, easier said than done, but actually not that hard to be able to have that conversation that says, I say, look, Michael, you're currently employed now. It's a, this is a wonderful opportunity, and I appreciate appreciate us diving deep into it. But, but let's be clear. If we fast forward and you've got an offer, this is hypothetical at the moment, right? I mean, let's talk about expectations. And then I use that one-liner, if you will. You know, I don't, I don't want to wake up and find out you're the person I, I, that that this is not the person I hired, nor do I want you to wake up and say, this is not the opportunity I thought I was getting myself into, right? Now, Mark McGraw, you know, Mark, Mark is a legend in this business as well, out of Alpharetta, Georgia. He's done some cool things on confronting the Sandler way, um, meaning we get a chance to, to, to con- you know, if we set the expectations clear, then we get a, then we get the ability to say, Michael, I, I just feel like you're not giving the commitment, the discipline, the time blocking necessary to be able to get to do the activity that gets you your quality first time appointments. For example, right? We can give a real life example. And then we move to, here's what I need from you, right? What, what I need from you is X and Y and Z. Because if that doesn't happen, you tell me where do you think this leads? And then we lead into natural consequences. So it kind of becomes a quadrant like I feel for example, what I need from you is, because if we can't figure this out, let's talk about what's going to happen. It's a beautiful little matrix that Mark McGraw created on confronting the San Luis. Now, if you have clear expectations early, that becomes a very, a very good conversation. The other thing is using IR, identity role. And, and let's say, Michael, I hired you. Finally, after after we've been friends for 15 years and our family's gone on vacation, right? Now, all of a sudden, that puts me in a difficult position. Or we used to work on the same team. I've been promoted, right? And now I'm your manager. Puts me in a difficult position. I've got to use IR, separation. What it might mean like is this. Listen, Michael, I know you, your family and my family has grown up together. We've been on vacation 
10 times together. Our kids are best friends. For this conversation, I need to put this, that aside and talk to you only in the role as account executive. And I've got to be able to separate out roles from identity on that one because I need to give you feedback in that role. Ah, Mark, Mark is a genius. Mark's a genius. I've, I've heard many people say before I didn't doubt it, but this just confirms what I've always known that that's incredible. So John, we're, let's do one more thing. I, I feel like we've kind of discussed the, the, the two legs of the success triangle, commitment and consistency. Maybe we'll talk just a minute about convic conviction. Sure. And, and, and by the way, did, were you the one that named the legs of the triangle? I did. I did name the <laughs> Okay. I thought so. I thought yeah. so. So let's let's just talk about with, with, of course the with with all of them starting with C and of course the joke being if you take the C out of closer. I'm I'm not an English major, John. Help me out with that you one. You have loser. No, I don't. I'm just. <laughs> so that joke, by the way, has never gone over. I've told that joke for twenty years. No one ever gets it or laughs at it, but I keep telling it, hoping to find that one person. This is my resilience adversity thing I'm talking about. Well, you got it in spades, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so conviction, I, it's a huge one. I don't think it's often spoken about enough. And I, I have my idea of what conviction is. And when I try and talk about it to my clients, I have a really specific example of working for a company. In fact, my last job before I started Sandler, the VP of sales called me into his office towards the end of the year and said, Hey, I need you to call all of your prospects and basically drop your pants and give everything away for whatever they want to pay for them. And my conviction in that company and that service went away. And maybe that was a, a gift from the universe telling me that yeah, the beginning of the end. Yeah. Well, then I'll tell you the end wasn't much further away from that. And I think I was in Baltimore, I want to say about a week later to talk to Sandler, but conviction. It's what's your definition? How do you yeah, see so my definition of conviction is 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 this overwhelming belief in what you do or say? Right. I mean, that's what conviction is. It's this overwhelming belief in what you do say. The beautiful thing about conviction is conviction sells, meaning if you look at the top of that uh, technique triangle, there's personal presence. Personal presence, my definition at least, is having an emotional impact on others. When you think about Oprah Winfrey or you think about uh, Bill Clinton or whoever it is, I mean, those folks had tremendous personal presence. And, and personal presence is the emotional impact. And then you think about Al Gore or somebody, in my opinion, has less you know, personal presence. Uh, so it's having the emotional impact you have on your fellow human being, I think driven by, by belief. And to me, selling is really about beliefs. I don't care if you're selling kids in a kindergarten and you're their teacher. I don't care if you're selling your wife or husband or spouse or partner where you want to go to dinner. Selling is about changing beliefs. If I believe one thing, right, that you ought to be paying not only full price, but probably it's a, probably more than full price. It's a bargain for you to get this. It's a, it's a 12 times return on investment for virtually everyone who's done this. If that's what you believe, uh, tremendous. Now your prospect may believe I'm just evaluating three financial softwares. And to me, you're all commodities. You all put input in, you all give me data out. So their belief is it doesn't matter who they buy, it's a commodity. If through a series of interactions, sales calls, they come to believe what you believe, you've sold them, right? If at the end they believe like, this is the greatest thing ever, I should go with it, it's a 12 times return on investment, you've likely sold them. 
right? So, so when you go into a sales call, you're not only responsible for assessing the conviction or the belief of your prospect, which is probably more commodity-based, but you better better assess your level, assess your level of conviction going into that sales call. Because if you're only halfway up that chain or that ladder, you can't take them any more, any, any past halfway. The problem is it's the upper two rungs is where the close is. And you're only taking them five rungs up because that's all you believe. So it absolutely, if that's why that why that the leg connecting attitude and technique is called conviction, because I think that conviction sells in that regard. I love that. I love that. And I'll, I'll say from my point of view, not enough conviction from the selling community in general. I don't, I don't know why that is, but it's because just like, just like identity role, because people have told me for years lies. Here's an example of a lie. Michael, I get calls all day from people like you, right? We're commoditizing you, right? We've also learned from the past that salespeople, that buyers don't trust salespeople, not because of anything you've done, but because of the way salespeople have acted in the past and they've learned to be vulnerable. One of the ways they, so, 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 so one of the ways they act is they have to go into a flight or fight mentality. Flight means they're hiding from you and we've all been ghosted and fight means I get calls all day from people like you, right? What's really, what makes you different? I mean, get, come on, knit it out for me. What, and we sort of get into this buyer-seller dance, right? This buyer-vendor, parent-child dynamic. That was a nice bow to put on it. The parent-child, uh, I love that. It's. I'm always amazed that when people see the buyer-seller dance or for those uninitiated in the Sandler, the typical interaction between the buyer and the seller, how it doesn't work out for very well for the salesperson, but surprisingly to them, it doesn't work out very well for the buyer either. It's really just mind blowing and kind of warms my heart every time I, we know it deeply within our our bones, but when people see it for the first time, they're just still blown away by that. So and I think I think my mindset very often is, and I've said it out loud to prospects, but it's more of a mindset. Michael, we, 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 we both want the same thing. You want to get the best and right solution for your organization. And if that's not us, you should go elsewhere. We both want the same thing. And now if I'm that, let's figure out a way to work together. If I'm not, I would expect you to go elsewhere, but we really want the same thing. Out of role play, that is a legitimate belief. We want the same thing. I want you to have the best solution. If that's us, let's work together. If it's not us, you ought to go in another direction. And I think that gives you sort of an adult to an adult uh, financially independent, don't need the business kind of mindset, with, with, but hopefully with no arrogance. So I don't always say that, but that is my mindset. I, we both want the same thing. We want you to get what's going to work for you long term, whether you're selling sales training, whether you're selling warehouse management systems, doesn't matter. If that's us, we should work together. It's not. You ought to move in another direction. I get it. And so it becomes discovery to sort of figure that out. And to do good discovery, you've got to break down those defense walls and the trust barriers so you can have an authentic conversation. Beautiful. Beautiful. John, that was amazing. I, I'm a Sandler guy, not, not 29 years, but going on about five years now. And this was inspiring, motivational to me. Hopefully it will do the same for everybody, the millions of listeners out there and maybe oh, I don't hundreds know. of millions of listeners yeah i i know i cut myself short joe rogan and i are just buying in the right. spotify <laughs> podcast store every day for who's who's got the most but yeah, all right so michael's mom who's listening <laughs> yeah. yes 
well, John, thank you again. And one of the things I've known but come to realize a lot more lately is the most successful people are always the most generous with their time. So thank you for coming out today. Thank you for always being available to me and everyone else in the Sandler Network. You are a true uh, keeper of the brand. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation, Mike. Thanks. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. To find out more about how we work with companies to help them grow sales more profitably and predictably, please check out gordon.sandler.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.